Prime Minister Justin Trudeau loathes the working class. The latest example his government is cooking up is a new tax on pickup trucks. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. So you might have seen this article over at the Toronto Sun. The headline is Trudeau is planning a tax on trucks. Well, I have the author of that piece with me today. Her name is Chris Sims. She's the BC director over at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Chris spent time in Ottawa working both as a political staffer and a communications director. She was also a print and radio journalist. Her first role in the news was at 580 CFRA News Talk Ottawa. She became an anchor over there, then became a reporter reporter at the CTV Parliamentary Bureau. She was also a founding reporter over at the Sun News Network, where I had the pleasure and the honor of working with her. She covered the big important issues of the day, including the growing big government, personal liberty, and rural Canada. So Chris, thank you so much for joining the show. It is so great to see you. Thank you. Yeah. So tell us about your report. Tell us about this new pickup truck tax the Trudeau government is trying to I don't know, sneak by or, or sneak in or, or what his plans he's scheming about introducing this tax. For sure. So I first saw an inkling of this uh, in Blacklock's Reporter, and it was around a month ago or so. And they mentioned it was a very brief posting that they had on their website. They said, hey, there's this advisory panel to the prime minister that is recommending, among other things, uh, a levy on pickup trucks. I'm like, that's kind of interesting. And so because of my experience on Parliament Hill, I know that these so-called advisory boards often have a lot of clout uh, in Ottawa. So I started digging around on the Environment Canada webpage. Sure enough, right there in the official report, I'm talking the 2030 Emissions Reductions Plan published by the Ministry of Environment with a foreword from Minister Guibault calling it a roadmap was right there. Recommendation. It was on page 192. And word for word, it included the recommendation to remove the exemption for the green levy so that it also affects vehicles like pickup trucks. So what that means in normal people talk is that right now we have the so-called green levy, but it only hits really big SUVs. So I'm talking like the Toyota Sequoia, the Nissan Armada, those really big SUVs. It was put through by the Harper government in 2007. But pickup trucks are expressly exempt. It's right there in the regulations. It does not touch pickup trucks for obvious reasons. They're the most popular vehicles in Canada. If you step outside any downtown urban core, they are the workhorses on all of our roadways. And so that is why they, of course, exempted them because they didn't want to nail that many people with such a big tax. This recommendation says in black and white, they should remove that exemption. More importantly, I went and checked to see where the regulations kick in. You know, how much fuel do you have to use in order to be nailed with this tax? And the answer is more than 13 liters per 100 kilometers. Hmm. So I went and checked all of the you know, fuel usage of the most popular vehicles. And sure enough, the Ford F-150, the Chevy Silverado 1500, the Dodge Ram pickups, 1500s, the light duty trucks would all be nailed with about $1,000 uh, tax. 
the bigger ones, if you need to get, say, a 3,500, if you're towing a trailer, if you've got construction equipment and you need a pickup truck with more snort to it, you're going to be hit with either $3,000 or $4,000 on the sale of a new pickup if they enacted this tax. And so that's why I wrote the piece for the Toronto Sun and sounded the alarm. It's, it's so interesting that they would try to sneak that by. So the minister puts it out by him, on his own. It's part of his report. And yet... The minister responded to your uh, piece over in the Toronto Sun, Environment Minister Stephen Gabo. He responded. He said that the proposed tax doesn't exist. In fact, he called your piece disinformation, divisive, and fear-mongering. This is, of course, because conservative uh, politicians like Pierre Polyev, Jason Kenney, Scott Moe have all been sharing your piece uh, with their with their base and with their email lists, rightly so, to say, look, this is what the Trudeau government has planned. Uh, so what, 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 do you, what do you make of the minister's uh, you know, divisive uh, dismissiveness of your piece? And how do you respond to that? Well, it's pretty concerning. And so what they could have done, if they really wanted to dump water on this, if they were truly panicked, they could have said, you know what, this is a small M mistake. We actually should have put a dissenting opinion by the minister right underneath the recommendation, or we shouldn't have included the recommendation at all in our piece. There's lots of options when you're sitting around the minister's table on how to handle this sort of a situation. But instead, he went on the attack against the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. We are more than 30 years old. We are a grassroots organization. We have a ton of supporters, as you know. So they went after us, calling us disinformation. They went after the Toronto Sun, calling them disinformation. They've been putting out newspapers uh, since the early 70s. So very standard, respected media. And what I actually find very concerning about this is that the minister responsible for calling that disinformation is also the minister who spearheaded Bill C-10, which is now called Bill C-11. And that, of course, is the proposed internet gag law, which would put bureaucrats in charge of what you can see, hear, and share on the internet. So to have that minister of the crown calling this piece, which is fact-based disinformation, is really concerning. Uh, and also, it's annoying because anyone who's ever worked on Parliament Hill knows how this works. This is how baby taxes are born. You know, mommy report walks down the aisle with daddy proposal, and then the bureaucrats write it up, and then they present it in the House, and then they debate it at committee, and voila, new bill, new taxes are born. That's how that works. And so- right. Anybody knows this. And now it's the playing dumb uh, that's pretty annoying. Well, not just playing dumb, but pearl clutching and going on the attack by calling you disinformation, the exact same buzzword. That's like the latest buzzword on the left um, that they use to describe information that is true, but that they just don't like it. And and it isn't just the minister. I mean, I've, I've been in the same situation, Chris. I had an opinion piece once in the Toronto Sun saying that the carbon tax was a tax. And the environment minister at the time, Catherine McKenna, tweeted out, this is fake news, it's not a tax, it's a rebate, right? Um, <laughs> and, and we all know how that how that ended. Uh, but, but this idea that you have really powerful people, ministers of the crown, attacking you know, journalists, reporters, uh, researchers like yourself, uh, and using these buzzwords like disinformation or fake news, and then turning around saying, we're going to ban disinformation and fake news. It's like, what you're really doing is banning views that you don't like, opinions that you don't like, or things that are going to be politically 
problematic for you because I know that your piece is getting shared left, right, and center, that it is a big rallying issue for conservatives because it's a culture war issue as well. Uh, before we get into some of those culture war questions, I, I have to note that Aaron Weary, a reporter over at the CBC, has also jumped in to the fray. And he, he said that basically everyone's getting worked up about a tax that doesn't exist. I find it really interesting because his piece sort of repeats what you said, that, that this was an annex, that the government released a, a report and this was annexed to it and, and it was part of recommendations. It wasn't government proposal, it wasn't legislation. So he kind of just repeated what you said, but his headline was very snarky. Some conservatives are condemning a truck tax that doesn't exist. And, you know, and, and, and so he, he walks us through exactly what your report says. And then he spends like the rest of the article talking about how uh, well, we probably should have a truck tax because uh, climate change and blah, blah, blah. So what, what, what do you make of the fact that the CBC has come swinging in to Justin Trudeau's rescue and uh, trying to pour water on this whole issue for them? Well, I'm not surprised. Uh, I sure don't like paying $1.4 billion to that corp uh, for them to come to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's defense. Uh, I find it rather silly that the same people who will say we shouldn't have these quote unquote gas guzzlers on the road that pickup trucks are are bad for the environment, et cetera, et cetera. That's a legitimate position to have. I completely disagree with it, but at least it's a consistent position. But then they turn around and as you put it, pearl clutch to say, how dare you suggest they would ever impose such a fee on these pickup trucks that we despise? Like, it's so weird. It's, you know, pick a lane, pick a lane. Do you want to tax these things so that people might not be able to afford to buy them anymore? And ergo, in your mind, they're not putting out as much fuel or emissions or whatever. Or do you not want to do this? Just decide what you want to do. And to the point of saying it's in the annex, that was one of the silliest arguments I've ever heard coming out of government. And it was pure spin. Annex means in addition to. It's in the report. The report cover calls it a uh, uh, emission reduction plan. It's called the road ahead roadmap. You take a look and you read it. It's right in there. And frankly, a lot of times when you're reading government documents, the most important information is in the annex. If you look at a federal budget, everybody who's ever covered a budget well knows to flip to the back. Get past all the fluffy stuff of why they're doing this to save women and children and whatever. Then you get to the hard numbers, which are in the back. So saying in it's annex. in the annex is super <laughs> silly. It's it's right there. Um, and what also concerns me here is that if I was a, still a reporter, and I always put the shoe on the other foot, I ask myself, uh, what if a conservative uh, prime minister did or the Purple Monkey Party prime minister did? I don't care what party it is. We don't want a tax on pickup trucks because we're the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. So I ask myself, if another prime minister of some other colored Jersey party was promoting a pickup truck tax, would I chase them down and say, hey, this is in your report? Are you going to denounce this completely and swear you're never going to do this? Darn tootin' I would. Of course I would. That's just standard W5 journalism. And so this is where I'm a little bit scratching my head saying, okay, then why don't you ask the minister to say, we will never, ever, ever do this. And it was just a recommendation and we're not doing this ever. They haven't done that. It's, it's one of the strange things with the media in Canada, Chris, where rather than hold the politicians and the people with power account uh, accountable and to account for the things that they're doing, they turn around 
and they hold the public or reporters or independent researchers or the Canadian Taxpayers Federation accountable for their opinions or their positions against the government. It, it, it happens time and time again. And every time it's like, it's like we're living in this weird, bizarre world where, the, the, you know, Aaron Weary, rather than, like you said, chasing down these politicians and saying, well, wait a minute, is this coming? Is this something that you're planning to do? He instinctively and immediately turns around and writes a piece that could have been written by Stefan Gabo. It could have been, I would say it could have been written by Justin Trudeau, but we all know that Justin Trudeau doesn't uh, write his own stuff. So it could have been written by one of Justin Trudeau's own, uh, you know, assistants or someone in the PMO. Uh, but instead, it's, you know, it's, it's put out as legitimate news by the CBC. It's, it's really wild. I, I, I want to pick up on this idea. Uh, you know, pickup trucks are the most popular vehicles in Canada. I have a stat right in front of me. Four of the five best-selling vehicles in Canada in 2020 were trucks. The number one spot was a Ford F-150. 28,000 were sold in Canada. Um, and, and that was a bad year because of COVID. That's according to the CBC. So when, when we're talking about a proposed tax, it's significant. You're talking about $1,000 to $4,000. It's a, a huge chunk out of someone's pocket. I, you know, you, you can't help but feel like this really, you know, it's, it's an attack, not just on you know people who drive a certain vehicle, but on a certain way of life. Uh, because in certain parts of the country, having a pickup truck is absolutely necessary. I mean, we saw uh, even just anecdotally during the trucker convoy, uh, the CBC at one point, one of their vans fell into a ditch. I don't know if you saw this. And one of the truckers with the pickup truck pulled them out, right, without any hesitation. And, you know, despite all of the name calling that CBC had been waging against these uh, truckers. So, you know, it, it, it's become kind of like a, a cultural symbol. And I, I just can't help but think that this proposed tax is, is sort of punishment towards the working class. What do you think about the culture war element here? That's definitely an element. Uh, I was raised in rural blue collar working class British Columbia, uh, same as my husband. And uh, if you just turn your head, you can usually see eight to 12 of them downtown whenever we go down to pick up the mail or whatever. Um, they're just standard, like they're just so common. The idea of taxing them with this big thing is pretty concerning, which is why I was so concerned about it, which is why I read the entire report that they put out and I wrote the story. And for folks who say, oh, well, you don't need it. No, you don't understand then. Uh, I, those folks probably haven't packed a bunch of poultry feed into the back of a Prius. They haven't tried to shove a bunch of gyprock into the back of some, you know, tiny little hatchback if they're a drywaller. Uh, there are tradespeople uh, who rely on pickup trucks every single day to bring their tools around. And even if they're not like directly employed in the trades, uh, there are rural working people who use them every day. Like I just said, for bringing their feet around, towing some cattle, you're not going to tow one of those horse trailers or a cattle trailer uh, with a little uh, hatchback. You just can't, it doesn't have the power. And maybe one day we will all eventually have an electric vehicle that runs on I don't know, like dilithium crystals or a magic battery that's really easily to re rechargeable or affordable. Who knows? That's not our beef. Our beef is here and now, these vehicles are the most popular selling vehicles in Canada. People across Canada rely on them. The government of Canada is including a recommendation in their official report to tax them big time. And as you well know, at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we're the watchdogs. It's my job to start barking the moment I see that burglar in your backyard. It's a failure if I wait to start barking when he's already running down the street with your TV. Okay? So this is the entire point. We see things like this coming. 
we bark really loud and we make sure that they never actually come to fruition. Well, I think you've done your job because it looks like they're, they're scared away so much that they're now saying, no, no, not, not only are we not going to introduce this plan, we never even planned on introducing this tax. So uh, bravo on that. You, you wrote in your piece, I thought this was really good. Uh, taxing someone's truck is kind of like taxing someone's laptop or someone's Zoom account uh, for, for this sort of stay-at-home class, work-from-home class. And it seems like there is this kind of growing divide. I want to bring you back to the summer of 2021. Um, there's sort of a culture war that, that was starting to brew. There was an article published in a piece called, uh, what was it called, The Passage, um, that said this, it's time to ban the sale of pickup trucks, pretty uh, stark language there. It was followed by a piece by Marcus G over in the Globe and Mail who said, pickup trucks are a plague on Canadian streets. Now this really got under the skin of a whole bunch of people in Canada, including uh, Premier Jason Kenney in Alberta who, who had his own response. He said the Globe and Mail is having a temper tantrum about pickup trucks. I'm happy to say that 40% of the vehicles on the road in Alberta are pickup trucks. Maybe Toronto columnists should uh, should try getting around the province during a prairie blizzard in a smart car. Uh, likewise, L Lorraine Harper, former Prime Minister Stephen Harper's wife, said this piece reads of snobbishness, minus 40, stranded on the side of the highway with a flat, car wouldn't move, cars were zipping by, the only person who stopped was a guy in a pickup truck. Scott Moe says something similar, come to Saskatchewan, where we all use our pickup trucks to build and grow our province. It really does feel like uh, a divide. And, and we saw this play out during COVID as well. We saw it play out during the trucker convoy, where there's a pretty big difference between Canadians who go out every day to work for a living, who, who drive trucks, who use their hands, who build things, um, versus the sort of, uh, you know, everyone stay at home and, and flatten the curve and, and they make it seem so easy, like everyone can do it. What, what, do you, what, what do you make of this sort of broader cultural issue? And how can we sort of mend this divide? I see it too, and I feel it too, and I've experienced it too. So like I said, uh, I was raised in the Fraser Canyon. Uh, my you know, family all drive pickup trucks, all blue collar, working with their hands. I've got three cousins. One's a boiler maker, the other's a drywaller, and the other's a mechanic. Like it's just where it comes from. Uh, my father-in-law is a heavy duty mechanic on trucks. Um, and so I lived that, I grew up with it. We own a pickup truck ourselves, not a fancy new one, but we own a pickup truck. And so we get that they're tools, they're just standard. It's so much so that you don't even really mention them, that they're so common. And I've also worked in hyper urban centers. I lived in the Glebe in Ottawa for 13 years. I didn't have a car. I rode my bike and I walked everywhere. Um, I did the latte thing. I'm working on a laptop with you right now. And I'm very lucky to be sitting in an office on a laptop. And so I see both worlds. And I think it's sad that if you're in one of those other worlds that you can't empathize with the other person. And I think that's a big problem. And I think it's one of the reasons why we're seeing the kind of nasty, vehement, almost personal, almost personal reaction coming from folks like Minister Gibo towards me, towards the Taxpayers Federation, towards the Toronto Sun, because we're losing that ability to bridge that gap. And so I would recommend uh, anyone who's lived the laptop life for a long, long time in downtown urban course, um, get out. Go out, like honestly, go out of your urban core, uh, rent a car if you have to, go hang out in a small town, not a little tourist trap, an actual small working town for a week. Get to understand what those folks are like. 
Same thing uh, for my family who has always lived rural or always had, you know, that kind of working class lifestyle. Go downtown, take transit, go to really nice museums, get to understand how those folks live. And I think that would help a lot. I think sometimes that the folks who are in the laptop class, so to speak, can forget uh, where, you know, the milk for their latte in the morning or their ice cream in the afternoon comes from. It comes from a dairy cow. The dairy cow was hauled to its dairy farm, probably as a calf, using a truck. The dairy cow eats alfalfa. That hay was hauled to that barn using a truck. Everything you eat and use was brought to you on a truck, quite often including a pickup truck by somebody within 100 kilometers of where you're sitting. And so I think it's important, especially when a government is talking about imposing a big new tax like this, to turn around and understand how that would affect average people, including those who are trying to help bring you stuff that you need. Well, certainly politicians and journalists like Aaron Weary, who claim to speak for and represent you know, a broad swaths of the country, I think would be very wise to, to follow uh, that advice. And I, and I have a feeling that's something that they don't do often enough. And, and I think you're absolutely right. I, I did want to ask you about the carbon tax, because I know that's something that the Canadian Taxpayers Federation has been very vocal about. Now, we know that the parliamentary uh, budget office in Ottawa recently rebuked uh, Trudeau government claim, which was that everyone was going to be better off from the carbon tax, that it was actually going to help put more more money in the pockets of Canadian families. That turned out to be entirely nonsense, uh, despite the fact that I'm sure Aaron Weary and plenty of the fact checkers over at the CBC and Legacy Media were uh, quick to call conservatives uh, disinformation by claiming that, that the carbon tax wasn't a tax that would take money out of your pocket, not put money in your pocket. Um, but I'm wondering uh, if you could walk us through what the what, what that report said and you know what, what, what's your position on the carbon tax? What do you think needs to be done with it? at this point? Uh, ash heap of history, as Margaret Thatcher put it. Uh, it needs to be completely gone, <laughs> both of them. The one that we have right now federally uh, and the second one that Prime Minister Trudeau is planning for the rest of Canada outside of BC just in time for Christmas, which is also going to increase the cost of diesel and gas at the gas pumps. So that needs to be gone, like lickety split. Um, I found it really interesting that the parliamentary budget officer uh, went through and did this work and kudos to them. And yeah, turns out it actually, you don't get more back than you pay in. And let's just stop for a second and think about what a silly statement that is. You'll pay, you'll get more back in tax than you pay in. Well, government does not have a magical money appreciation tree in its courtyard. When you put money into government, it does not magically earn wealth and give you more back. The very idea that you would get more back than you pay in is silly because the only money that government uses is your money. It's tax dollars. So on the very surface of it, that didn't make any sense. But OK, let's just go along with this magical thinking. Turns out, yeah, the average family in, in Canada is not going to get more back than they pay in in the in the carbon tax. And folks in Alberta are going to get kicked the hardest. I think last I checked, it was something like $1,000, $1,200 a year, you know, uh, net that they would be out. Further to that, there is so much expense connected to the carbon tax that it's almost impossible to perfectly quantify. Because if you think about it, like we said, look around wherever you are right now, everything you eat and use was brought to you on a truck, most likely that was using gas and then diesel. 
And if it was trained to you on a railroad, that's also using diesel. If it was shipped to you, that is using oil and gas. So it really trickles down that way so that everything you use that has a carbon tax attached to it to bring it to you is going to be more expensive because of the carbon tax. Further, uh, farmers actually have to pay the carbon tax in one way, and that is when they dry their product. A lot of folks don't know this, but with they've got their grain or their seeds or whatever they're using, they usually use natural gas and sometimes propane to dry it. That actually is nailed with the carbon tax. And I didn't even know that before I started at the CTF. And that adds a lot of cost because, of course, everything uses grain. Even if you're a carnivore like Dr. Jordan Peterson, the, the cow that you're eating did eat grain. And so that, that cost is up there. So basically, the carbon tax punishes people for driving to work, moving around the country and heating your home. Those demands like getting to work and heating your home are inelastic meaning people just can't opt out. It's not like picking paper or plastic bags at the grocery store. You can't opt out. You don't want to freeze to death. You don't want your pipes to burst and you got to get to work to buy food. So it, the carbon tax is just a punishment for people's everyday existence in Canada. And so it was good to see the parliamentary budget officer back up what we'd been saying all this time that, yeah, sorry, guys, you're not going to get more than you pay in. And I just wanted to put out a word of warning because I'm here in British Columbia and we've always been the canary in the coal mine, so to speak, for the carbon tax. We have the highest carbon taxes in all of North America. Right now in British Columbia, it's about 28 cents a liter for gasoline just in our two carbon taxes. And what's interesting is our so-called rebate absolutely cuts off by the time a two-person working family hits $58,000 a year. The average two-person working family, so your average working people that politicians love to embrace, is $84,000 a year. So it helps absolutely no average working people in British Columbia. The rebate does not exist. And when we were first sold this bill of goods in 2008, the BC Liberals told us all sorts of stuff. It was just a bunch of magic beans. They said it was going to be revenue neutral, that uh, it would create a whole bunch of alternative energies that would be affordable, and that it would reduce emissions. Today, none of those things is true. Our emissions keep on going up in BC, even though we have the highest carbon tax in Canada. So it's a huge failure, and it's really expensive, and average people pay through the nose for it. So we really need to see this thing gone. Right. And where is, again, where is Aaron Weary to report on that? Because Canada's emissions have also gone up since 2015. I think they're up 10%. And we, we don't see that. It's interesting to hear you go through all the various ways that these taxes hurt working people, hurt middle class people. I remember Justin Trudeau came in and his whole platform was helping the middle class and those hoping to join it. Uh, that seems to be completely out the window. Uh, when I was researching for this interview, Chris, I, I found I found it kind of amusing. You know, here you have your report. Uh, pickup trucks are going to get taxed an additional one to four thousand dollars based on the truck. In addition to the carbon tax, which you just went through, how punitive and expensive it is, and all the other taxes that are aimed at middle class people. At the same time, the government continues to subsidize electric vehicles like Teslas. Tesla, Teslas are an incredibly expensive luxury vehicle. And yet here we have federally up to a $5,000 rebate for a long range battery in Ontario. They offer uh, $1,000 for the purchase of a fully electric car, $1,000 for a plug-in. 
uh, in Quebec, up to $8,000 for an electric vehicle under $60,000. It's this bizarre scenario where you have the government subsidizing rich people. Rich people drive Teslas. Teslas are incredibly nice, incredibly expensive. Uh, so, so the government's incentivizing and subsidizing rich people and increasing taxes on the working poor, working class, uh, middle class people. What kind of bizarre world do we live in? It is bizarre. That's the right term. Uh, and again, a reminder, uh, this is not free government money that is coming to these folks. Every nickel of that came from themselves or their neighbors or their entire neighborhood, depending on how much of a rebate they're getting back. So it isn't just some magic thing that the government can write off. That is not how this works. It's money in, money out. That's how this functions. And they're increasing the deficit hand over fist. And it's one of the reasons why our inflation is so crazy right now. Yes, there are other global factors that can affect inflation. But as our federal director, Franco Terrazano, has explained very well, one of the big bolsters of our deficit is or our inflation is our deficit spending because they'll go into deficit. And then the Bank of Canada, on the other hand, prints more money in order to cover the deficit. And so that causes extra inflation. And so if folks are worried about, you know, butter going up and pork going up and chicken going up and all of that, one of the reasons for that is because of the freewheeling spending of this government. And so it's really important right now. I know it's tough out there. I get calls every week. I got a call a few weeks ago from a lady who was beside herself, her adult son, who just got his life back on track after he broke up with his wife, is a tradesperson. They lived together in a basement suite in Chilliwack, and he couldn't afford to drive his truck from Chilliwack up and over to Maple Ridge, which is a pretty long commute, because it's two bucks a liter right now. In, in the Vancouver area, it's two dollars a liter. It's just these are real people really suffering and it's high time for government to pay attention. And one of the big factors in that is one, the overspending, right, by the Trudeau government and two, carbon taxes. And I, I don't like to be the bearer of bad news, but the carbon tax element is going to get way worse. They're cranking this thing up to $170 a ton within the next eight years. What that means is it's going to cost you about $40 extra just in that one carbon tax to fill up a minivan, like every single time, you know, that is a full turkey dinner with all the fixings for a family every time they're filling up and it's not helping. Emissions keep on going up. So this is real money we're talking about and it's causing hardship for working people. Well, absolutely. And, and the inflation tax, I mean, it's directly related to government policy because they're the ones printing money. And sure, it's happening all over the world because governments all over the world are printing money like madmen because of COVID. So uh, thanks for making that point because uh, it is, it's hard. If you're on a fixed income, if you're on a limited budget and all of a sudden, you know, everything's 10% more expensive than it was last year. Plus you have all these taxes, plus $2 a liter gasoline out West. It's, it's, it's tough. And uh, Canadians really need to Stand up to this Trudeau government. Our media is not going to do it. Uh, no. we, we know that. So I just wanted uh, to Chris, quickly point out, there was sure. a stat, sorry to interrupt. There's a stat that I check every now and then, and I think it's for the first time ever. MNP puts out a report basically asking, how are you financially? And for the first time ever that I noticed, it might have been different before, more than, more than half, more than half of Canadians say they're within 200 bucks of insolvency, which means every month, they're within 200 bucks of not being able to cover their basic bills. And usually it's a scary amount. It's hovering between 35 and maybe even 40% when I would check it. Now it's, I think it's 52%. So we're in some serious trouble here. 
yeah, this is the economy that Justin Trudeau creates. You know, he said that he wants to grow the economy from the heart out or whatever he said, the budgets will balance themselves. Well, this is the reality and it, it's scary. I know True North reports on um, those kind of stories and how close so many families are. It's, it's so tough. So Chris, we really appreciate all you do uh, to bring these important stories to light. Uh, all, all of the research you do out west. Uh, thank you so much for joining the show. Ho- hopefully we'll have you on more often. You bet. Thanks for having us. All right. That's Chris Sims. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show.